Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 113. It's a smart speaker mirage. Hi, I'm Neil. Two weeks ago, Apple announced that it was going to have to delay the launch of HomePod. The plan was to launch this month in December. Now Apple is going to launch the product sometime in early 2018. There were two schools of thought here. Some looked at this news and said, what's well, a good thing? Apple isn't afraid to delay a product in order to make sure it's ready for consumers. But there was another side to it. Some people said, well, wait a second. You have a growing number of examples, both hardware and software, where Apple announces ship dates, but then is unable to meet those deadlines, resulting in delays or resulting in products that still just haven't been shipped. Is this a sign of something more going on behind the scenes? You also had people say, well, Apple will now miss the key holiday shopping season. That's going to give Google and Amazon even more power in the smart speaker space. When you go back to this past June, when Apple unveiled HomePod, it kicked off what I would call a remarkable cycle of skepticism regarding Apple's approach to the smart speaker space. It's fair to say HomePod is the speaker that has received the most cynicism and skepticism in the market. I don't think anything is even close to it. And I've been thinking a lot about the smart speaker space in recent months. This led to this week's article over at AboveAvalon.com. We are in the midst of a massive mindshare bubble involving stationary smart speakers. When you look at how the press covers this space, there is so much enthusiasm and positivity. I struggle to find any article or report that is negative on the space. When I see that, certain red flags start to pop up. I think there is a growing amount of evidence that stationary smart speakers powered by digital voice assistants do not represent some kind of paradigm shift in computing. Instead, I think when you look at the smart speaker, its future is one of an accessory. And ultimately, it will be surpassed in prominence by wearables. It's time to call out the stationary smart speaker market for what it is, a mirage. The best way to jump into this discussion is to look at how the modern smart speaker space got started. I think we have to go back to November 2014. Amazon introduced the very first Amazon Echo. Now, before that, of course, you did have some players in the market, but I think it was the Amazon Echo that really created what we now look at as the smart speaker space. So back in November 2014, well, the Echo was actually introduced a little fanfare. I think some of this was due to Amazon's approach to new products, where you don't make a huge deal about any one particular product. Instead, you get it out there. You see how your customers enjoy it, how they're using it, and then you go from there. Over at AboveAvalon.com, I included a little bit of a snippet from TechCrunch's initial observation or initial take on the Amazon Echo. I thought it was actually very telling at how they describe this. So again, this is from TechCrunch. Amazon has a new product that doesn't really have any current equivalent from any other tech company, a connected speaker called Echo that's always on, listening for commands that's virtual assistant can then respond to with information or by triggering a task. Amazon didn't position hardware 
or even software design as the most critical ingredient to Echo. Instead, it was a digital voice assistant. That was going to be the differentiator. It's fair to say Silicon Valley was intrigued. While we had access to digital voice assistants via our mobile devices, well, this idea of sort of a voice-first or voice-only interface, well, that was something different. That was something new. It took two years for Amazon Echo to go mainstream. One way of validating that claim is you could take a look at Google Trends. So if you look at the results for Amazon Echo in the U.S., the 2016 holiday season really stood out for the device. Now, at the time, Amazon released a press release that said it's so nine times the number of Echo devices during that holiday shopping period than the previous year. For a lot of people, when they heard that figure, their jaw dropped. Amazon didn't go into detail as to why there was this dramatic jump in Echo sales. I think the two reasons that probably explain it are, A, I think Echo sales were coming off a very low base in 2015. So if Amazon sold, say, a few hundred thousand units, well, nine times that amount, it sounds very impressive, but it really comes out to maybe a few million Echo devices. And B, I think it was due to the Echo Dot. That was the low-priced Echo that Amazon had unveiled earlier in 2016. So I think those two factors came together to produce a pretty decent 2016 holiday season for Echo. Now, if we stick with this theme of unit sales, how should we think about the smart speaker space? We run into an issue here. The leading smart speaker manufacturers, they avoid disclosing sales. So there is a lack of concrete sales data regarding just how large the stationary smart speaker space actually is. Instead, we are left to depend on all of these surveys. I see research firms, they're coming out with all of these numbers. A lot of times you don't know how they're arriving at these numbers. They're very often hidden. Even when you go and you ask them for more information, they don't give you a really good answer. So we're kind of left with like, what is going on here? My thought process regarding this is we have to come up with some estimate for Echo sales because Echo is the leader. Yeah, you have Google Home in the space as well. You have higher end alternatives like Sonos, but I think the sales are found with Amazon. So we have to come up with some sort of estimate. From Amazon's perspective, this company just does not disclose anything in terms of product sales, and they never really have. It is not in Amazon's best interest to disclose something like how many Amazon Echoes were sold during a certain period. Why? Just look at how the press treats Amazon Echo. It receives near universal praise. This means there's only downside found with actually disclosing Echo sales. So what does this mean for us? Well, we have to do our own investigation. So let's put our investigative hats on and find clues for arriving at some type of Echo sales estimate. Along those lines, our attention turns to one item in particular. Amazon publishes these press releases around the holiday that are meant to showcase how great of a retailer Amazon is. And when you look at some of the bullet points in these press releases, there are some clues 
as to how devices are selling. For example, if you look at this press release that came out a few days ago, one bullet point says Echo Dot was the best-selling device at Whole Foods Market over the holiday weekend. Now, at first, that seems pretty funny. It's like, okay, well, how many computing devices are being sold at Whole Foods Market? However, there is a good clue hidden in there, and that is, well, Echo Dot outsold the other Echo devices. And if you do that for all of these minor points, all of these hidden clues, I think you actually can arrive at some numbers, some legitimate numbers that you can get behind. And I did that math a few months ago. I primarily looked at what Amazon had to say about Echo sales for the 2015 holiday period and the 2016 holiday period. I also made assumptions as to how Echo sales are likely to be distributed throughout the year. So are they focused right around the holidays when Amazon has its most significant promotions? Well, I think so. So after combining all of the numbers, I arrive at an estimate. During the first half of 2017, I think Amazon was selling about 15 million Echo speakers per year. So that is an annual sales run rate. Earlier this week, Amazon said that millions of Echo devices were sold between Thanksgiving and Cyber Monday. So that tells me that maybe the sales run rate in recent weeks has accelerated a little bit. So maybe 15 million to 20 million. That could be our range for a pretty, what I think is a pretty accurate estimate for how many Echo devices are sold per year. Now to put that number in context, Apple is selling about 20 million Apple Watches per year. When you look at the massive amount of resources that are being put into the smart speaker space, I think other companies have taken note of Amazon's Echo sales. It seems like every consumer-oriented tech company is now running into this space with their own unique offering. So they're trying to do something a little bit different from Amazon. You look at Facebook, for example, they're rumored to be working on a stationary screen with a speaker. So kind of like an iPad, but not really. On the surface, Amazon Echo sales point to a very promising product category. I mean, let's be clear here. A 15 million unit annual sales pace for a product category that is only three years old is quite the accomplishment. And I think what this has done is it's led to all of these predictions that stationary smart speakers, they're a new paradigm in technology. They're the next big thing. But here's the problem. I think relying too much on these echo sales data, it's going to lead to incomplete or even at worst, faulty conclusions. The image that's portrayed by echo sales isn't what it seems. Instead, the stationary home speaker space, it's shaping up to be one of the largest head fakes in technology. We are already starting to see some early signs of disappointment. When you take a closer look at Amazon's Echo line, I think it becomes clear why people are buying millions of Echo devices. They're cheap. Amazon has ushered in a race to the bottom within the stationary smart speaker space like we have never seen in consumer electronics. In just three years, that's it. 
the stationary home speaker market is now filled with mediocre speakers that cost as low as $20. This isn't just an Amazon thing either. Look at Google. You have Google Home Mini. It's a cheaper version of Google's Google Home speaker. Well, nowadays, you can buy either specialty pizza for about $20, $30, or you could buy an Echo Dot or a Google Home Mini. That's pretty remarkable. Similar races to the bottom were projected in smartphones, tablets, wearables, but it never materialized like it has with the stationary smart speaker space. Now, aside from these cheap Echo speakers, there is no evidence of other speaker manufacturers actually gaining traction here. If you look at Google Home, sales are estimated to be a fraction of Amazon speaker sales. A lot of that is really just judged by unit sales, market share data. Again, I don't want to go too deep into it because I just don't know the methodology behind it. It's usually pretty mysterious. But there's just no clear evidence to suggest that Google is seeing anywhere near the amount of success as Amazon. You can look at the higher-end speaker alternatives like Sonos. Again, there's no evidence to suggest sales have moved beyond niche. Even all of these legacy speaker companies, while they may have come up with new devices, new products that take advantage of the smart speaker space, as for sales... I don't think anything compares to Echo. Now, there is a problem here. It's not just that speaker prices have collapsed. If you look at Echo, the primary value of that speaker is access to Amazon's digital voice assistant, Alexa. I don't think there's all of this additional value found with higher-priced Echo alternatives. So it's just the new edition Echo for $99, Echo Plus, $150. I think a lot of people look at those with questions. Well, I just want maybe access to a digital voice assistant, and a $25, $30 speaker can do it. This draws into question some of the stability and health of the broader stationary smart speaker space. Now, while Amazon is in no rush to provide a sales breakdown by Echo model, I think the vast majority of sales, they're found with the dot. They're found with the cheapest Echo. At this point, I am going to put on a different hat, another hat. So I I had my Echo sales investigation hat. I took that off. I'm going to now play devil's advocate because I think there is a possibility of, of pushing back against this discussion. Some people may say, okay, we understand that a lot of sales are occurring at the low end of the stationary smart speaker space. Echo Dot, Google Home Mini, $20, $30 speakers. We get that. But that shouldn't be the focus here. Instead, the most important part of these speakers, well, they're the digital voice assistants. And so that means the most important thing is if you have a lot of people now using these digital voice assistants, well, that's the takeaway. That's the the big part. That's the big discussion point. And that's going to have all these implications for other industries. My response to that criticism or that position is that I don't think you can completely ignore the hardware side of this. You can't ignore 
the speaker form factor. Because what these speakers mean and what they're ultimately pushing here is a voice-first or a voice-only interface. I don't think the discussion can just be about Alexa as a digital voice assistant. It has to be about, well, how do we use those digital voice assistants in our life? Are we just using it via a speaker? Well, that's very different if we're using it via a smartphone or a wearable, where you do have that screen optionality, where you do have this digital voice assistant that may take on a slightly different role because of the presence of a screen. So that's why I do think you have to focus on hardware. And this is why price matters and why I think when you look at usage rates and how people are viewing these products, there's some concerning signs here. It doesn't really seem as promising as just looking at that overall sales run rate. Now, when you take a step back and you look at this process of pretty cheap hardware that's powered by something else, a digital voice assistant in this case, Silicon Valley calls this the commoditization of hardware. So you have service companies like Amazon and Google. They're using low-cost hardware to seed rich data-capturing services in our lives. So the end goal for these companies is accessing all of this customer data. And the vehicle of choice to do this is the digital voice assistant. It is that narrative that has really given life to the broader smart speaker craze. Because people are buying into this idea. It represents something new. And it represents a threat to smartphone manufacturers, tablet manufacturers, and even now wearables manufacturers. Now, it is not a coincidence that the companies placing the largest bets on stationary speakers in a home have either failed or run into significant trouble with their previous mobile strategies. Let's look at Amazon. The company's entry into the smartphone market with Amazon Fire Phone was one of the colossal failures in the smartphone industry. I think a lot of people probably forgot about it by now. We have similar attempts by Facebook to come out with its own smartphone. Well, that didn't go anywhere. Even Google. That company is finding itself running into some trouble here as Android is losing power in the premium end of the smartphone market. The one commonality among those three preceding examples is that each has seen its dependence on Apple grow over time. The lack of their own viable standalone smartphone offering means on Amazon, Facebook, and Google have had to rely increasingly on iOS to reach their customers, and they don't like it. I think this scenario has irked Jeff Bezos for years. I think it's at the heart of Amazon's hardware strategy. We can look at Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. Purchase Oculus. I think that acquisition was born out of a very similar mindset. Zuckerberg wants to control Facebook's destiny by owning hardware. Google. We can look at Pixel. The Pixel smartphone is Google's attempt to reach premium users that, well, they're becoming a little bit disenchanted with Samsung. You can even see them targeting iPhone users at the premium end. 
In addition, you have Google ramping up their traffic acquisition costs to ensure they remain the default search option on iOS. What's the takeaway from all of this? I don't think these companies are moving into stationary devices for the home because they represent the next frontier in tech or they represent some upcoming paradigm shift. And said so these companies are incentivized to figure out a way to reduce our smartphone usage. How are they going to do it? They're going to try to unbundle the device. So you have all these smart speakers. They're piping digital voice assistants in our home, even though those digital voice assistants are also available on our smartphones, our tablets, our smartwatches. Some people have looked at this scenario and have actually come to the conclusion that this is a good thing for Amazon, Google, and Facebook. The fact that all of those companies did not succeed with smartphone hardware, but are now increasingly betting on stationary devices, well, it's been described as a moment of opportunity. These same people then say that Apple is missing out because they're relying too much on iPhone. They are being misled by all of their iPhone success. Are we seeing some kind of hardware disruption here? We have low-cost hardware in the form of stationary speakers being powered by digital voice assistants. Another way of saying cloud-based services. Is this going to begin to impact smartphone, tablet, wearable usage? I don't think so. I don't think stationary speakers for the home or office or any room are a form of disruption. I think they're more of a distraction. When you look at the past 10 years of technology, there's been one overarching theme. Mobile devices with a multi-touch interface, so smartphones and tablets, have become alternatives to traditional laptops and desktops. There may have been a few sideshows here and there, but nothing has compared to that one paradigm shift. The thing is, while smartphones and tablets continue to get smarter and more advanced, there is no denying at this point that sales growth reflects mature product categories. We can look at high adoption rates for smartphones and tablets. What does that tell us? Well, upgrade trends, platform switching, those are becoming the remaining sources of sales growth. So what this has done is it's led to an acceleration in resources being shifted out of smartphones and tablets and into these other product categories. Companies are busy searching for the next big thing. I like to say that we find ourselves at a crossroads. The competitive tech landscape is changing. The battle for our attention is broadening away from just smartphones. We're starting to see the early signs of a massive land grab for the most valuable real estate in our lives. Our body, in terms of health, the home, transportation. Tech battle lines are being redrawn around those three pivotal aspects of daily life. When it comes to thinking of products that can work in those three categories, it would be a mistake to assume that each category 
has jobs and use cases that will require three completely different sets of products. At the same time, I think it's incorrect to say the smartphone will remain at the center of our lives forever. Well, what will happen? I think there's going to be room for new products in our lives. And I think there's going to be some overlap here. I think the products that may apply in terms of health in our body may also begin to apply in our home. In some ways, the stationary smart speaker market, it reminds me of the early wrist wearables market. If we go back to 2014 and even early 2015, there was a significant amount of unknown found with wrist wearables. Where was this market headed? Was the future found with low-end fitness trackers or high-end smartwatches? Or would there be some combination in between? Well, as we later found out, it took a few years, and it took Apple's entry into the space for the landscape to begin to change. We now see the momentum found with high-end smartwatches, where high-end means multifunctional. Turning to the stationary smart speaker space, I think there are three distinct possibilities as to where this industry is headed. The first, low-cost hardware to push digital voice assistance. So in this scenario, customers purchase cheap, smart speakers solely based on the accompanying digital voice assistant. I think smartphones, tablets, smartwatches, they ultimately lose value in this scenario. The winners, they're services companies. They're companies betting on intelligent digital voice assistants to capture as much customer data as possible. The second scenario, the second possible future, the stationary smart speaker is a high-end accessory. So given how we have digital voice assistants in our smartphones, tablets, and smartwatches, consumers look for standalone speakers to do something more, to offer something else. That something else? would likely be superior sound quality. And the third possibility, or the third scenario, is that the speaker space remains disjointed. There is a lot of players. They're coexisting despite having all these different strategies and core competencies. Probably market share will be used to denote winners and losers, but in reality, I don't think that that would be correct. I think success will probably be determined by usage patterns and ultimately who has access to premium users. Now, out of those three scenarios, consensus currently thinks the first option makes the most sense. It's the most likely outcome. Low-cost hardware to push digital voice assistance. I think this explains the sheer amount of skepticism that's pointed towards higher-priced speakers like Apple's HomePod. Meanwhile, I actually think Apple is placing its bet that the smart speaker space takes either the second or third scenarios. So either the space becomes one of a high-end accessory or it remains disjointed and it can support multiple strategies here. So this is why back at WWDC in June, HomePod was marketed as an iOS accessory. It will serve as the best speaker 
people have ever owned. Now, again, I was able to listen to HomePod next to Amazon Echo, next to Sonos, and I think Apple is in a very good position to make that claim. It probably will be the best sounding speaker for a lot of people. When you look at the HomePod's $349 price, it certainly reflects Apple's mindset that this is an accessory. This brings us to the final topic for today. I don't think stationary smart speakers represent the future of computing. Instead, what's happening here is companies are using smart speakers to take advantage of what is an awkward phase of technology. There doesn't seem to be any clear direction as to where things are headed. At least, that's what consensus thinks. I think longtime listeners of this podcast and longtime readers of Above Avalon would know, well, I think pretty highly of wearables. And I think that consensus is still underestimating the impact wearables will have on this world. This is why, ultimately, I think smart speakers end up competing with a very unlikely product category, wearables. I think stationary smart speakers and wrist wearables, they actually share a surprising amount of similarities. Each is ultimately based on handling tasks formerly given to smartphones and tablets. Two examples would be delivering digital voice assistance and delivering sound. So when we look at what people are doing with cheap smart speakers, they're buying them apparently to have access to a digital voice assistant. The thing is, there is no evidence to suggest that consumers have strong convictions regarding how such voice assistance should be used or even can be used. When you look at these customer surveys regarding how people are using smart speakers, the major takeaway is that there really isn't a takeaway. There's no clear trend. If anything, smart speakers are being used primarily for these rudimentary tasks that can just as easily be done with digital voice assistants found on our smartphones or smartwatches. This is the primary reason why I think the narrative facing the smart speaker market is just simply too rosy. It's too optimistic given what's really happening here. Turning back to the idea that wearables actually represent competition for smart speakers, if the goal is to rely on a digital voice assistant, an Apple Watch wearer has access to Siri at pretty much every waking moment. By simply putting an Apple Watch on your wrist, Siri is instantly available anywhere in the house. To have the same kind of access to Alexa, Amazon's digital voice assistant, it would require 5, 10, maybe even 15 Echo speakers spaced strategically throughout the house. One in the kitchen, bathrooms, bedroom, living room. This is another reason why I think Echo sales are becoming increasingly misleading. At $20, $25, people are probably buying a handful of these at one time. If we consider a cellular Apple Watch, Siri is now available outside the home, even when an Apple Watch wearer is away from their iPhone. Meanwhile, with Alexa, it's stuck within four walls, or at least until Amazon comes up with its own Alexa smartwatch. I think wearables 
contain a much more attractive long-term value proposition than just stationary smart speakers that are connected to a wall outlet. I would go even further to say the presence of a screen, say with Apple Watch, provides even more value because it's become clear when you look at voice first or voice-only interfaces, they just aren't efficient. When I first wake up in the morning, I don't want to have a conversation about what the weather is going to be today or in the next week. I can just quickly look at my wrist. All of the information that I want, it's right there. If I want even more information, if I want to see what the weather is for the rest of the week, it's a click away. Or I could just look at my iPhone and I have detailed information for the next couple of days. I don't want to have a conversation about what's tomorrow's high temperature, what is the low temperature, when's the sunset. I'm not interested in that. My belief is that as computers become smarter, as digital voice assistants become smarter, the amount of talking, the amount of discussion that we have with that digital voice assistant should decline. It should go down. We shouldn't have all of these discussions with everything. Another thing that I like to say is when you look at the smart home, a home really truly becomes smart when you can't figure out what is the smart item versus what's the non-smart item. So even though today it may make sense to talk with two or three smart items via voice, I don't think that's the future. I don't think we're going to want to talk with all of these different items. Instead, we have automation. We have digital voice assistants that get used to our habits. We may have just simple phrases that control a lot of smart home items. The point here is that digital voice assistants in their current form, I don't think that's really where things are headed. They're just way too inefficient in terms of the amount of data that's being passed between me and my computers. The writing is on the wall. The stationary speaker market is a stopgap measure taking advantage of relatively low wearables adoption. According to my estimate, Apple Watch adoption stands at about 3% of the overall iPhone user base. If we look just at iPhone users in the U.S., it's a little bit higher. It's more like 10 to 15%. I think the U.S. is Apple Watch's stronghold. My belief is as that percentage increases, and I think it will, we will start to see stationary smart speakers begin to experience usage and retention troubles. So just as every company seems to be running into the smart speaker space today, I think pain and lackluster results, it will begin to spread. And ultimately, most companies are going to exit the space. Now, this isn't meant to say that there's no room, there's no future for stationary smart speakers. I think there is a future for the product category, but not as some kind of future computing paradigm. I think stationary smart speakers will become accessories. Accessories to the very same wearables that they're competing against today. As a prime example, when an Apple Watch wearer wants to listen to music. Well, I think HomePod will be positioned as a way to provide a much better music listening experience. Smart speakers may also represent 
pretty decent smart home hubs. I think there's still a lot of moving parts in that industry. So I don't want to go too far into where the concept of a smart home hub, its interaction with, say, Apple TV can go. But the takeaway here is that smart speakers can serve other valuable functions besides just piping a digital voice assistant in the home. And what about the scenario where voice interfaces actually become more useful? Maybe there's a lot of evolution in that space. What happens then? I think wearables will be able to support an increased reliance on digital voice assistants. Take a look at the Siri watch face on Apple Watch. It's my favorite watch face by far. Second place is even close. I am given little bits of information throughout the day tailored to my life, tailored to my schedule. And it changes from day to day. I get little photo memories every once in a while. I can check how a particular stock's doing. An upcoming phone call, an upcoming meeting. I think that's the future of digital voice assistants. It's not just about voice. There is value found with a screen. I like to say that in technology, placing a bet that screens will remain important in the future, I think it's going to be a pretty good bet. I would take that bet. As Siri becomes smarter and that Siri watch race becomes more useful over time, that's where I think we're headed when we think of a digital voice assistant. It's a type of helper. It's a type of interface for all of our devices. This is why the current fascination found with standalone, stationary, smart speakers may end up being labeled as a stepping stone to mass market wearables adoption. The next big thing in technology will probably be wearables. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy this type of analysis and you want more of it throughout the week, I do offer Above Avalon membership. The cornerstone of membership is access to my exclusive daily email that I publish throughout the week. All of my analysis and perspective on Apple is found in these daily emails. Story topics include strategy and business analysis, financial modeling and estimates, and also my perspective and observations on current news events, competitors, earnings, and keynotes. There are additional privileges and benefits found with Above Avalon membership. All members have access to the archive, so you can go back, read, or search through previous daily emails. There is a Slack team, so you can chat with other Above Avalon members. Currently, members live in 54 countries, so there's a diverse range of backgrounds in occupations represented in the Slack group. Members also have priority email access, and they also receive the Above Avalon weekly articles via email. That feature is only available to members. And of course, Above Avalon members play a role in supporting Above Avalon. I'm proud to say that Above Avalon is 100% supported by its members. So for more information on becoming an Above Avalon member, head on over to AboveAvalon.com, then go to the membership page. Membership is just $10 per month 
or $100 per year. Last but certainly not least, with the 2017 holiday season now upon us, Above Avalon gifts are now available. So this is the one time each year where you can gift an Above Avalon subscription to someone. I'll include a link to the gifting page in the show notes. It's just aboveavalon.com forward slash gifts. So for those of you who maybe want to leave a hint to someone as to what you want as a gift this year, you can maybe just send them that link. I think that probably would work out. (laughs) With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all next week.